Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. Hello, 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 and welcome to this episode of Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and if you've been rocking with me for a while, you know, or you just happen to look through the feed of podcast episodes, you see that in every episode before this one, I've had a special guest. I love talking to the new and the notables at the intersection of law, business, and technology, But I've been getting so many questions since the launch of my new course, From Cash to Crypto, that I wanted to take a moment and just do a solo podcast to talk you through crypto one-on-one and why you should even care and why people are signing up for the course in order to really take hold of and take control of the future of their money in this new digital cash economy. People come to the course to really figure out, how do I participate? What is crypto? Is it just dark web money or something for criminals? You know, I spend a lot of time dispelling myths and empowering people to really take ownership and control of their value in this new digital cash economy. In order to do that, you have to understand what it is. So, If you believe that cryptocurrency is too complicated, too confusing, way too risky, then my course is for you. And I wanted to share the first module experience with you so you get an idea, one, of how I even came to the space, how I was able to change my life in just three short years in order to create a lane for myself in the future of money, entrepreneurship, and career. And so you will hear that in this episode. Just three years ago, if you believed all of the things about it being too complicated, too confusing, too risky, trust me, I was there. My very conservative legal mind, not politically, but conservative legal mind of coloring inside the lines and following the rules and being highly risk adverse is something I really had to challenge about myself because I always, you know, I'm a lifelong learner. I want to stay ahead of the curve. I always want to remain relevant. I'm kind of mid-career at this point, and I'm celebrating my accomplishments, and I love my expertise that I've developed in intellectual property and technology and innovation and law, but I'm always looking for what's next. And in 2020 in particular, this is an excellent opportunity to challenge your assumptions, challenge yourself and to make yourself indispensable in this new economy, to make yourself indispensable as we come out of the 2020 chaos and everything that's happened, people getting laid off and furloughed, people passing away. This is a time to take a breath and then to reimagine what you want your life to be in one year, in five years, and in 10 years, and how you want to take your existing knowledge, skills, credentials, expertise, and make it relevant and indispensable in this fourth industrial revolution. So although the course is certainly about how to go from our current cash economy to participate either as an investor or to purchase and hold crypto to earn it, to earn interest on it, to figure out how blockchain might disrupt your industry and how to get ahead of that, that's where we really want to be. It's really about preparing your future today. So I'm really excited about empowering underestimated lifelong learners who are traditionally locked out of tech and finance in order to take control of their financial futures and to participate in this new digital cash economy, but to do so safely, legally, and confidently, and also in a welcoming space so that they can stay ahead of the curve and really create autonomy, opportunity, and generational wealth in this fast-paced, tech-driven world. 
So that's what I share with you in this episode. You will hear an actual recording. It's an excerpt, so it's not the full bells and whistles, but it gives you an idea of even just what that first experience of live group coaching is and what you might learn for the future. So I want your comments and your questions, your discussion items, what you are really interested in learning. Please connect with me on social media. Please, please, please share this episode and drop me a like, a thumbs up, whatever. Put your comments, questions, concerns in the comments section or definitely connect with me on social media. All of the links are in the show notes. So enjoy this episode. Let me know what you want to learn more. And if you are excited about the future and you want to prepare today, get in touch with me. Visit AdvantageEvans.com for more information about upcoming masterclasses and also my full course experience at AdvantageEvans.com. All right, time to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. You um, are, are all in the Mighty Mighty Network, my Advantage Evans Circle more broadly, and our learning management platform so that you see module one. Each new module will open up on the Monday. So next Monday, you'll see the next module and so on. What you'll see in this week is the Crypto 101 overview. I want you to immediately start to ask the question at every turn, why is this relevant to me? Why is this important? Why is this relevant uh, is this relevant? And just cryptocurrency, where we are and where we might go in the future. The crypto glossary, I want you to make sure that you bookmark it and return to it. It's a wonderful online resource that's updated. Crystal Games, you might like this as you continue to, to build out your own glossary. There's some other resources there to support you in various aspects of you know crypto 101 experience. There's another video or uh, excuse me there are some podcast episodes that are specifically relevant to the crypto space that I've done through my podcast Tech Intersect and so you will see those listed as well and then some milestones that I want you to work through one is a crypto lingo exercise because there's so much you know I promised you in some of the lead-ups that we would avoid jargon and the buzzy words But we can't avoid, you don't want to avoid them, but we want to break them down to the bare essence. But you have to know if we're using RECT or HODL or some of the other things in the space that you're familiar so that you get comfortable with some of the lingo in the space. So using the crypto glossary in order to look up anything that I say or that you read so that you continue to to, to push yourself. And then the industry search, and, and we'll talk about that. So I'm an intellectual property lawyer like my mother, a technology professor as well. I teach information privacy law, uh, the intersection of intellectual property and innovation, also some areas of entrepreneurship. And then I have some other disciplines from earlier in my career, wills, trusts, and estates, municipal finance. Uh, When my mother and I practiced together, we worked on bond deals and and, uh, mostly underwriters counsel, but also co-bond and special counsel, issuers counsel. I'm now a visiting full professor at Penn State Dickinson Law. I'm just finishing up a three-year stint at University of New Hampshire School of Law. I'm still in New Hampshire today. This time next week, I will not be. I will actually be in Pennsylvania starting my new job. But I'm also the owner of the Advantage Evans Academy. And I realized throughout my career, I've been in the legal academy for 13, going on 14 years. I practiced law for 10 years before that. But I have gotten so used to building value as an intrapreneur within a space that it was important for me at this time in my life to make sure that I'm building something outside of that, something where I can continue to use my knowledge, interests, expertise, no matter where I am, no matter, matter if I'm working for someone or for myself, because I'm a lifelong, not only a lifelong learner, but I am the CEO of me. And I happen to be on loan to a university in this moment. I mentioned my podcast, the Tech Intersect podcast, and you'll get more familiar with that in the module. But what I really want to spend a couple of minutes on and talking about lifelong learner and this recovering inside the lines color. Uh, I know that you all are all lifelong learners or you wouldn't be here, but this adorable, lovely girl is not me, but she could be. Mom, work on this and try and find a picture of me doing this exact same thing so I could put it in my next course. But it's this idea that I came into the world that I'm going to do it perfectly and I'm going to do it by myself. 
And there's some wonderful parts of that, of being self-reliant, getting things right. And I don't take away from that, but sometimes the very thing that gets you to a great place no longer serves you well. And I quickly learned that I am certainly a work in progress, that in a time in my life where I could get perfect grades, I had a great resume or CV, I have the, the quote unquote pedigree, if you will, in terms of jobs for my particular career track as a lawyer and a legal academic. But it led me, as long as I continued to color inside the lines of being miserable in a way that I'm like doing all the right things, but I don't feel great about that. And that's why entrepreneurship has been such a blessing for me and to be able to do that while also doing something that I love, which is to teach. And so this idea of coloring inside the lines, great for some artistic endeavor, if you are trying to color inside the lines, because there's probably a whole discipline within the art world where you are forced to go outside of the lines. But what I know now and what I'm so grateful to have learned is that coloring inside the lines is not great for the future when you're talking about innovative steps when you have to step out and not have anything solid to see yet because you're creating it or you're reaching beyond your comfort zone, right? So that's the future of money, the future of entrepreneurship, the information age, the future of work. And that's really where we are now at this fourth industrial revolution. There are times in my life where I have colored outside the lines. I was known when I first started practicing law as lawyer by day, poet by night. I would stay at the firm until nine, 10 o'clock at night. I would head over to the nearest coffee shop because I'm sure I still had work to do, but I also was going to catch the nearest cipher. And those were those moments when I really, really started to to shine. Uh, And I use that term intentionally because one of my signature poems at the time was find your own shine. And I encourage you all to do that as you move through your space as well. This is from around the time of Deaf Poetry Jam. If you all are people of a certain age like me, you might remember Deaf Poetry Jam and and Deaf Comedy Jam and all of that, Deaf Jam Records. And this is also me. I played professional tennis for four years after I graduated from Northwestern University. I played for Northwestern on a full tennis scholarship, played on tour for four years. That was a time that I also had the great benefit and pleasure of doing something completely outside of the lines. Most people do not take the long and winding path. So there were those glimpses. The third glimpse for me was when I fell down this rabbit hole. Blockchain and crypto really took me there and I have not recovered since and I'm grateful for it. And we talk about the rabbit hole because each thing that you learn, if we're doing this learning thing right in this space means that you're going to have 10 other questions that are going to lead you to 20 other resources. And that's the really exciting part because it changes every day too. There's You will not know everything there is to know about everything. And for anyone who tells you they are an expert in blockchain or crypto, then you need to check their credentials. I will not even tell you that. I know a lot about my particular zone and there's a ton of stuff I don't. But that's an exciting thing. And to Crystal's point earlier, there's something for everyone. So I was able to find my lane to really start to explore the intersection of blockchain, distributed ledger technology, crypto assets, within what I already knew and what I was already doing in the intellectual property and education spaces. And so that's where I decided to take a deep dive, uh, you know, a little bit about the other things that fascinate me, but to really start to build, create a lane for myself that made me indispensable. This is a, a screen grab from the first speaking engagement that I did. This was after that deep dive in my mother's home where I wore pajamas and talked to gibberish all the time because I'd fallen down the rabbit hole. When I came back to school in January, I got an email, it was an email blast to all professors saying that there was a last minute opening to fly to Thailand to present to an intellectual property firm there and to train all of their lawyers about a number of things, a number of Web3 technologies, one of them happened to be in the space of of blockchain, cryptocurrencies, smart contracts. We'll talk about that in another week. I said, yes, that was the first week of January. As you see there, the first time I spoke in Thailand was January 31st. If I had to do what I did on January 31st, on January 4th or whatever day that was, I would have gotten booed out of the place, I assure you. But I always bet on myself and know, you know, One, no matter what I didn't know, they were willing to fly someone halfway around the world to talk to them. So there's that. And it's a long flight, so I could read a lot. And two, I was just so excited to share what I had learned about some of the really interesting use cases in intellectual property that I took a chance. You all took a chance to show up here. And so I hope 
that what has happened to me in my life also happens to you as a result of taking this course. I've also, as a result of that first speaking engagement, got to present at and train World Intellectual Property Organization lawyers and other staffers in Geneva. I was able to create the first blockchain cryptocurrency law online certificate program at a top 100 law school. I have here an homage to perhaps some of you know, Minda Hartz, when she talks about secure the seat, you know, a seat at the table. So I'm going to riff on it a little bit and talk about hashtag secure the lane, because as we are talking about investing, and that's an important part of knowing about crypto assets, the other side of that is what it means for you in your career and your aspirations as an entrepreneur. So keep that in mind as we move through. Was able to do a number of things. Crystal mentioned going to South by Southwest. There are not a lot of people who do what I do in this space. And so that continues to add value so that there are ways that you move through and that you're also able to add value in the space. And just knowing that in the short period of time to show up and do something like a Yahoo finance segment means that, again, we're really, really early in the space and you can quickly expertize yourself and really start to add value. This is a final thing that happened. Some of you may have heard about Libra Coin. There's a Libra Association that was created by Facebook. Facebook was under fire. Well, Facebook is always under fire. I'm not, as you all know, a real fan of Facebook, but Libra Coin is bigger than Facebook. And if any other, I think of like the Mozillas of the world, if they led with this consortium to create what is a stable coin that would be used on a platform that has unbelievable network effects around the world. That would have been really, really exciting to more people. But because of Facebook and and privacy concerns and security concerns, it was marred a bit, but it will launch in the fall. And I got a chance to be in the room with that hearing and to learn that this is another thing you should keep in mind. This is not something we're talking about for the future, because I assure you, if Congress is talking about it, we might already be late. If Congress is talking about it, let's just say that we might be late. And so They are talking about what this means for you. One thing I want to highlight at a higher level when we talk about the future of work and what it means to remain relevant is that anything that's routine or repetitive at this point is going to be automated. And we've seen that at every version of an industrial revolution where machines start to take the place of humans if they can do it better, faster, cheaper, uh, with lower overhead, no HR concerns and the like and automation in the car space. You may have heard a couple, a few weeks ago, maybe a month now, time is a blur, but the automation that is now happening in meatpacking plants, for example, because of the COVID-19 crisis having a dramatic impact on meatpacking. And so all of a sudden, there are a bunch of robots who are now doing, those people are forever displaced. They're not going back to their job. And that's because of routinization. So I want you to start thinking less about white collar jobs, the professional or blue-collar job, skilled labor, and really start focusing on new-collar jobs. This is the fourth industrial revolution. We're talking about Web 3.0 technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning, drones, robotics, automation, anything that can be, again, routinized will be replaced. IBM's chair, Ginny Rometty, recently talked about, and IBM is not the only one, but just an example about the amount of money they are now investing into training their own workforce. It used to be that they'd send you off to school and then you'd learn something at school and then you'd come and be ready to practice or work on day one. We're just not there. There's a huge skills gap in the United States in particular. And so companies like IBM, Google, EY, others are really doubling down to say, you know what, undergrad degree optional, And it's nice to have, but if you don't, we want to focus on skills and credentials. Go get those. Get certifications and specific skills. And that's going to be more valuable because now we're looking toward the skilled professional. And so if ever there was a time to color outside the lines, it's now. Because, you know, the operative word in new collar is new. And that's where we are. That's where our mindset is. And COVID-19's impact is really forcing the hand of a lot of people to rethink Maybe you're still at a job. You're like, I don't even like this job. Or you've been furloughed or there's something else going on that this is the time to really focus on your skills, your credentials, uh, and the process, self-care and fulfillment so that you can reflect on where you are, reimagine where you might be, and then reskill to make sure that you're always moving forward in that regard.
And so this entire process, certainly we are focused on crypto and blockchain, and I'm thrilled to talk about it all day, every day, but it really is at the end, let's do a check-in at the end of the course to talk about whether you're able to find your lane. And I heard, I think somebody said earlier, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. So I'm a big fan of that as well. And we certainly are going to do that. I wanted to highlight for you, and this is always an interesting part as I prepare for either a specific class or a new class run about what the impact to various industries may be. When we say use cases, we're saying things that might be that may not exist right now. But people, we're, as Crystal said earlier, really at the beginning, even with and being in our 11th year of the Bitcoin blockchain, and I'll talk about that later, we're still really early. And a lot of statistics I'll share to uh, celebrate you for being really ahead of the curve already. CB Insights put out this fantastic report on 58 big industries that blockchain could transform, various use cases in the space. And finances and financial technology or fintech is an obvious example, the disruptive impact of the first use case of blockchain, which is cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin. But, you know, When I think of what we do now with the internet, for example, the first true use case was electronic mail, email. And now you don't even want to open your emails. Think of all the wonderful things we're doing, including connecting with each other and learning and working and everything that we do online. I have dropped a link in your module to this report. And so I commend it to you to work through, especially as you do your milestone work. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Here's something that's recent as well of why you are precisely right on time being here. This is from May 8th, where the digital dollar debate was going on in Congress. And this was before the first version of the CARES Act was enacted, where some of the original versions of the legislation included a digital dollar that would be backed and have the equivalent of a regular paper dollar, but they would be able to get money to people more quickly in a way that we know that people are still wondering where their money is or if they're going to get any money in this moment. And so this was really important. And again, if Congress is talking about it, we absolutely should be. And it's not just Congress, but it is in the private sector as well where PayPal and Venmo are rolling out their crypto buying and selling opportunities directly within their platform. You can already do that with Cash App. You can buy Bitcoin with Cash App. And so all of a sudden, all of the legacy, it's funny to say PayPal and Venmo, I don't know if Venmo's like legacy, but they're the big boys and girls in the space who said and fed into this narrative about just drug money, just dark web, stay away, or it's too fringy and they're crazy so crazy that they're now investing millions of dollars into getting in the game because they know they're getting left behind too. Visa, MasterCard, again, PayPal, they're changing their tune on Bitcoin and it's been really amazing to see. This article was published in just July 24th. So this is so relevant and it's so timely. And the very industries that sought to really dispel the power and the promise of crypto assets are now changing their tune. This is a final thing about the relevance as an investor or a buyer that I just added, even though it came from these statistics come from October of 2019, but relatively recent in the space. It'd be interesting to see what the statistics are now. But it says that the largest Bitcoin ownership survey revealed that 6.2% of Americans own Bitcoin and 7.3% are planning to buy some in the future at that time. That leaves a lot of people on the sidelines. There's 64% that said, I do not own and I do not plan to buy any. I don't know why they put that in all caps, but that's interesting. (laughs) I think they too will change their tune. 
But this shows again that even though the Bitcoin blockchain has been around, it was first released, and we'll talk about that, by Satoshi Nakamoto in 2009, based upon a 2008 white paper. And fast forward, obviously, to where we are now, that these are some of the early adopters. You can see this big, big swatch of people who are on the sidelines and have bought into the same narrative that almost kept some of you out of, out of the class, but you already know that that can't be true, that in the, same, the number one currency used for nefarious activity is actually the dollar, <laughs> right? Because it's very difficult to trace dollars, not difficult at all to trace Bitcoin. So there's some interesting forensics in that regard. So that means that this is where you are. This is you, you. You're the high performer, the early adopter. You might not feel like an early adopter, but given those statistics, you absolutely are. And so I want to applaud you and encourage you to continue to just move through at your own pace. As Crystal said, there's something here for everyone and you will be better off for having this experience and for connecting with each other. In order to understand what crypto is, I feel like we need to spend some time what is money? What is value? And this is something I had to spend a lot of time with because I was not a math whiz. I, you know, we bank and money comes in, money goes out, but not a full appreciation for what that means. And so in order to understand the value of cryptocurrencies that function as a currency, you know, as digital cash, as money, to understand at a broader level what that means. Money is a social agreement. It's a social contract. Our dollar is no longer backed by gold, hasn't been for decades. It's based on the full faith and credit of our government that says, we're stable, Selah, we are stable, we are stable, we're stable. And we have a stable currency because people around the world still want to use it, even though we keep printing it like it's going out of style, right? It's the almighty dollar. It's a social contract that we've all agreed to support. It requires trust, and you're gonna hear us talk about trust a lot. It requires that we trust the very entities that, you know, when every time we have a crash, the too big to fail get bailed out and the little guy or gal gets left on the sidelines. But the trust is so critically important when we trust intermediaries to act on our behalf, to act in our best interest when that doesn't always happen. So I want you to flag the word intermediary too, because that's important as we work through this idea of distributed systems and, and decentralized systems. You also have, a, have to have a sufficient number of people to use it. So you can say it's valuable, but if it's only you, that's only gonna go so far. You need a community of people who trust and have made this agreement and that they actually use it, that sellers accept it so that people can use it to exchange value and that you're in a community or a society that trusts and believes in the value. And crypto is the same way. It's no different in that regard. So people say, where is it? How does it get its value? It gets its value the same way the dollar gets its value, except it's not focused on a particular entity or a particular government, but on the agreement of a community. Consensus, you'll hear us use that term, consensus. All right, and so that takes us, when you think about the concept of value. We've had many over the millennia ways to exchange value, right? When you have people maybe from within a community who have an agreement, but then we started to move around more as people. And certainly now that we're in a global society, you can have someone in the United States and someone in Italy. We don't have the same currency, but we still want to transact in a global value exchange. But you can think of seashells and salt and sugarcane, gold and silver, God forbid people at one time. There are many different ways to interact and exchange value. Oftentimes, the value is apparent when you think of something that has inherent value. If I need shoes, you make shoes and I raise chickens and we make an agreement, you're going to give me shoes and I'm going to give you chickens, then there's some inherent value that's of immediate use. But when you get beyond commodities, what is the representation of that that you can transact across borders? We hope you're enjoying this edition of Tech Intersect. Our conversation will continue in a moment, but first, a word on There's an exciting opportunity. There's a more cost-effective and time-efficient way to reach your leading-edge learning and earning goals to put you ahead of the stiff competition in this fast-paced, tech-driven economy. You need skills, credentials, and a fast track to a competitive advantage. You need it now more than ever, and I can help. 
Invest in the future you've always wanted, and in as little as three weeks, you'll be on your way to greater autonomy, control, and opportunity in your life. The Advantage Evans method puts you ahead of the curve with condensed, comprehensive online courses, curated content to leverage your current skills and expertise in order to succeed in the new economy, live coaching with me, networking opportunities, and a digital badge on completion. Upcoming courses include From Cash to Crypto, Buying Your First Bitcoin, and Register Right, Protecting Your IP, Brand, and Business. Ready for your advantage? Well, get on the fast track to learn and earn at AdvantageEvans.com. And now, back to the conversation. As you continue to move through the material, you're going to be comparing the existing system of banking that is centralized in a central bank, that's the word central in the phrase, versus a distributed system where it's a peer-to-peer transfer of value. And that's why cryptocurrency doesn't require a bank. It doesn't require an exchange. It requires that I have a wallet, and we will talk about wallets next week, and that I'm able to send it directly to you, which I will do next week when you make your wallets. Be sending everybody a little Bitcoin to see how that works. But think about how the current system works and how it might work without having to go through a bank. Because our current system, I think I'll say it again when we get to Bitcoin specifically, but our current system is a digital veneer. We think that we are operating in a digital system because you know, magically money appears in my account on the last day of every month, or I can go in and schedule payments and they will go out. I can swipe a card or I can go into Cash App or Venmo. Feels very digital and it is, but underneath it's a digital veneer over this age old method, this double entry ledger system That's the word ledger that you'll be hearing us use. That means that if I'm sending Crystal $100 from USAA Bank, and she's at a different bank, at the end of the day, my bank has to reconcile it, hers has to reconcile, I have to, and that's happening on both sides. So someone on one side or another can make a change or make an error. I can wake up thinking that I have $5,000 and then it says 500 and I said, where did it go? And maybe that's an error or something that can be undone. Those are features that don't exist in a pure public permissionless, these are buzzwords system that we will start to talk about in the weeks to come. Um, That is some way that functions fundamentally differently where you don't have to trust a bank or a person. You trust the code that is supporting it. Bitcoin is software code. Blockchains are code that have coded specific instructions on if then and so that is what the, where the trust resides in the code, not in people, and certainly not in systems. Because at the bottom of this, um, you'll see it during the replay, but one of the biggest problems with the almighty dollar is what former Fed chair Alan Greenspan said, that there will never, ever, ever be a problem with the United States paying its debts. Because as is said down here, we can always print money to do that. We can always print money to do that. So when you think of inflation, deflation, all of the the issues and concerns, and we are in dire straits in that regard right now, because there's a lot of money being printed in most cryptocurrency systems, and I'll focus on Bitcoin specifically, there are a set number, only 21 million will ever exist. So a lot of people compare it to gold, you know, this finite resource that is valuable and will increase in value, the more scarce it becomes. So keep that in mind. All right, so let's take that in and take a breath. How are we doing out there? Things good? So far, so good? All right, excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, I'm gonna hit cryptocurrency highlights. We're almost to the bottom of the eight o'clock hour. I'll talk for maybe about 10-ish more minutes and then I'll hop off and we'll jump into some of your questions as well. Cryptocurrency, what the heck is it? So when we talk about cryptocurrency, the reason crypto is in it is because it relies on cryptography, which is a fancy way of saying encryption, so that through transmission, it can't be intercepted. Cryptographically secured is another thing that you will learn or read. But cryptocurrency is digital cash for a digital age, and it's similar in many ways to 
what we think of as regular money, also known as government issued money or fiat money, F-I-A-T, fiat. With cryptocurrency, it's digital only. It's only ever going to exist in digital format. There is no physical representation of it. And so that is a, a difference, although many countries are moving to digital cash. So that would be interesting as well. So how is crypto different from fiat? And hopefully this is a helpful way to look through. As you go through the replay, you'll be able to see it more clearly and specifically. But when I think of comparing and contrasting cryptocurrencies to fiat, I'm looking at how it's managed, how it holds its value, how it's secured, whether you're gonna have physical coins or some digital representation, and whether or not you can transact to do business, buy and sell goods. And so crypto, when we think of who manages it, that's one of the most interesting areas because again, it's this network of computers. We'll talk about that in a bit. And you do have a separate recording that you will listen to or watch that talks you through blockchain specifically, but a network of computers that run open source software code. And the code has the monetary policy as it were. So instead of relying on a government and a central bank to tell us what the monetary policy is on the fiat side, because a government manages it on the fiat side, all of the rules, the rules of the road are hardwired into the code or baked in, I should say, to the code. And when, again, with value, value of crypto is based on supply and demand. The value of fiat is based on the confidence in the government that issues it. And so again, full faith and credit of the United States government. How it's secured. So how can we be sure that someone's not gonna go in and change the rules or change the game or change the amounts and otherwise be a bad actor to change the transactions? And it's because of the agreement of this network of computers, all of these computers running the software to verify transactions. And if the transactions comport with the rules that are in the software, it's either a yes or a no. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to have a meeting about it. <laughs> you know, we're not going to have a convention. It's either yes or no based upon the rules of that particular software protocol. Security on the fiat side is third parties, banks, governments, only a select few participate. You have your central banks, you have your commercial banks and the like. We've already talked about physical versus digital and whether or not you can buy or sell. That's an important part as well. I get this question a lot and what you will learn in both modules two and three, the different things that you can do with cryptocurrency. You can do with crypto what you can do with fiat. You can shop. You can pay for dining. Now, I don't encourage you to go out of your home right now to dine, but there will be a time that we leave. And when we do, if you have a crypto wallet and you're in an establishment that accepts crypto, then you'll be able to dine. You can donate and other and from a philanthropic point of view, or certainly make a gift, a private gift within your own family. You can drop a tip. There's something called a Brave browser. So instead of using Chrome or um, Firefox, you could use Brave and actually go to specific websites and tip them in a cryptocurrency called BAT or basic attention token. And that's another way. I see your hand, Crystal. Let me say this one thing. And then traveling as well. And so there are a lot of different ways beyond investing that you can use. Question, Crystal. Oh, sorry, just a comment. And <clears throat> just recently I learned that they can be used as um, within a, an IRA to do a different type of investment, to invest in asset classes, alternate asset classes like startups or real estate. And so you could take your crypto and fold it into an IRA that's invested in that way. And so that keeps you from maybe liquidating some money to invest in someone's thing, you know, whether it be a property or a startup and they don't, you don't have to take any sort of um, trigger any taxable event. You can sort of roll it over and have that protection. So lots of different opportunities with crypto now as well. Yes. That's a, an, a really interesting space too, as you think about different ways for entrepreneurs to raise. And so we're always looking at it from the entrepreneur side, but who are the investors who would be able to participate in in what way and how do they access funds that they already have without, as you said, triggering a taxable event using pre-tax dollars. Um, I want to learn more about that too. And I know you have um, whatever that resource is. Let's make sure that we, that we grab that. It's really fascinating. I was um, reading today more about earning interest on Bitcoin 
wrapped Bitcoin. That's a story for another day. In other assets where you're earning a lot more interest on your cryptocurrency. And so BlockFi is one. I don't have any stake in the game for BlockFi, but it's one of the more reputable ones. So I'll be sure to share that information. I heard um, Pomp talk about that recently on it. Pompiano talk about that recently on his podcast. And those interest rates are like, you're earning eight, nine percent by staking your Bitcoin, meaning putting it up and uh, loaning it out essentially and getting a return on your investment that way. So for those who are interested in passive earning, which is way better than being in a bank. So that's another interesting thing too. And that resource is not in the resources right now, but I'll remember to do that. Here's a final thing about earning passively. This is a great way to get into the game early. I do have an affiliate relationship with Lolly. And so when you see any reference to Lolly or signing up for it, just know that that's an affiliate relationship with me. I think you'll get a deal. I get a deal. It's win-win. But it's a way, Lolly is a, a rewards platform. Think like Rakuten or something like that, where you're shopping and doing your regular thing. And buying these lovely little iPods, uh, I, what is this called? The earbuds, earbuds. And, um, you know, getting 30% back in Bitcoin. So you don't have to have any exposure and you're just passively earning for the things that you're already doing. And they have dozens of relationships with very prominent businesses. I think it's a fantastic resource and way to passively earn as well. I mentioned Brave. Uh, You'll see this resource, I think, in module two, but I just have a screenshot of it now in case you're looking for a more secure browser. Browsing is really big to me and so much of the data, all the data that we're turning over mindlessly as we move through the internet. And so Brave is an alternative to that and it rewards you for your eyeballs too. And it's a lot more protections in it. Nothing is safe, but safer in that regard. In some ways you can earn the basic attention token or BAT. And that's a way you can both earn by surfing, by watching, and also tipping. I mentioned tipping a bit earlier. All right, so you'll see much more of that. So I'm hitting the high notes of a lot of things that you'll experience. The different types of crypto, this comes up a lot. So this original screenshot is from the first cohort that I had this summer where we were talking about, and I can't remember the day. I feel like that, that was June 30th. I must have pulled this on June 30th where here, this is a website that you should become very familiar with, coinmarketcap.com. I want you to go here to check out price action and um, have some really interesting comparisons here because on June 30th, when I taught the first cohort, there were 5,585 different types of cryptocurrencies, 5,585. And look at the Bitcoin price. Somebody dropped the Bitcoin price (laughs) what it is at this moment in time right now. Because June 30th, $9,431.09, right? Um, And I picked this up because you'll have a number of different types, top 10 based on market cap. All the prices are going to be different because this is organized by market cap. And also you'll see at the top of the screen for coin market cap, Bitcoin's dominance. The ticker symbol for Bitcoin is BTC. So today, earlier today, I pull (laughs) the screen grab. And again, we've gone from 9,000 to 11,682. This is not financial advice. We could wake up tomorrow and it could be $2,000. It can be extremely, extremely volatile, full stop. And I don't talk about encouraging to get any coins in particular. I will send you Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the OG. It's the easiest thing to transfer, to trade. Obviously, it has a great deal of value in this moment in time. It could all go to hell in a handbasket. We don't know. But as we study it over the years, and why I want you to go to CoinMarketCap, because it will give you the full analysis and picture as we continue to creep up to 21 million as well. Here, we're in 18 million and change. Uh, and some BTC has been lost, forever lost that is not actually circulating, but has been created that even with the fits and starts over time, it's, um, it, it's been a beast. And sometimes, it, you know, sometimes it's a bear market and it's terrible. Sometimes it's a bull. But in just this short period of time to see it move like that is something else. So I say all that to say CoinMarketCap would be someplace that you would go and see. 
And as you start to learn more and more about coins and tokens, and even the difference between coins and tokens, which I want you to pay attention to this week, you have a number of different types. And so I actually talk about crypto as crypto assets, because not every crypto asset is a cryptocurrency, but all cryptocurrencies are crypto assets, all right? So I want you to begin to think about the taxonomy of crypto. And by that, I mean, what is the specific use for a particular type of coin. Bitcoin is based on a public permissionless system and it was only supposed to function as a currency. Many people get into Bitcoin for speculation for the reason I just explained, that they're not inclined to spend their Bitcoin because just two months ago, it was 9,000 and now it's 11,600. I don't walk around spending gold but gold is highly valuable. So many people liken BTC to gold, but some use it to spend as well. So I don't wanna discourage you one way or another, but just understand given the volatility, but the trajectory of Bitcoin, people are less likely to spend it than something like a stable coin, which means it will always keep its value. Some of the most common examples of stable coins, DAI I should have up there. I'm a full disclosure, chairperson for the MakerDAO Foundation. Those tokens are MKR and DAI, and so you won't hear me talking much about it because I don't want to influence things in any way, but I want you to know my relationship to that particular decentralized autonomous organization. But I've listed other types of stable coins. So the United States digital currency or cash, uh, USDC backed by dollars, and Tether is backed by dollars, although we can't really know because you're not able to audit Tether. We don't really know where they are, but it is extremely popular so they say one for one backing and our money right now in the united states is not one for one backed so if we all went to the bank today to pull out our money everything would cave in on itself right because we have fractionalized backing here then there's something called exchange tokens so you'll get to know exchanges in week two but there are certain platforms like binance that has a bnb token where you use it to facilitate certain transactions on that platform BNB also has its own value and you can trade it, but its primary function is to work to reduce fees on that particular exchange. And so some exchanges have their own tokens and Gemini has its own thing, et cetera. And then you have central bank digital currencies or CBDCs, and you're gonna be hearing a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot about this. There are major projects going on in almost every country to figure out how to stop using physical cash and to get into digital banking that is highly traceable by a government. The blessing and the curse. China's out in the lead in that regard. We are talking about it here in the United States and around the world. So it's something that you should know where central banks might start issuing their own currencies. Here are some examples of some different types of tokens that have various attributes that further just puts a fine point on how we call these all cryptocurrencies, Ether, IOTA, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, but they have certain aspects in common and then some that are different. And all of these on the side, well, not all of them, but some of them represent what money usually does. Can you use it as a form of payment or currency? Is it a store of value like gold protocol improvements? So you're talking about Binance, things of that nature. So keep that in mind too, as you increase your knowledge and understanding about how to distinguish the types of coins, that that will become more relevant to you in the future. A final point about what Bitcoin is, and then pause for the cause, um, take your questions and, and get out of here. So Bitcoin, now that we have a, a broader understanding of cryptocurrency generally, let's talk about the OG Bitcoin introduced on October 31st, 2008 in Satoshi's white paper. And you may have a link to it in the resources. If not, it's easily searchable and um, you should uh, get it in there as well to see Satoshi Nakamoto's paper that is about nine pages of brilliance that explains in detail the idea of it. We don't know who Satoshi is. Him, we don't know if it's a man, woman, non-gender identifying, is it a nation state? Is it you know, a group of people? We have no idea. And that is some of the mythology around Bitcoin too, that someone created this software protocol, released it on January 3rd, 2009, 
to create the first Bitcoin and to do so. We'll talk about blockchain in another segment. I'll probably start off next presentation with a deeper dive on blockchain, but what you have in your module this week will tee it up for you as well, that I talked through specifically how the Bitcoin blockchain functions, because by explaining the Bitcoin blockchain, you'll have an understanding about any blockchain that's built like that. And there are different types of blockchain protocols. So that's a, a deeper dive than we will do this evening. But the Bitcoins first appeared in 2009, roughly every 10 minutes, new Bitcoins are created. And again, remember that they'll be created until 21 million have been created and then that's it. And it will still have its value. In fact, some say that the value will skyrocket because by that point, all of those people who are on the sidelines will join us, but it'll be too late because maybe Bitcoin will be, I don't know, 100,000K per, uh, but that's, this is not financial advice, all right? And again, so, so uh, Satoshi Nakamoto created it to solve what I discussed earlier as the double spend problem for digital currency as we continue to talk about the digital veneer that we exist under. But this image is what, you know, an old school double entry ledger system of accounting to reconcile books and balance books still happening in that same regard. And it can be fraught with nefarious activity, nation states. You could be in, you know, Argentina, go to bed with money, wake up with none because you no longer have access to it because of the government. And so it's a way people call it the people's money. It can be described as the people's money that doesn't require a particular intermediary. Final thing that I always, I'm always asked, is crypto legal? Crypto is legal for now. What you do with it may be different. It's kind of the you know, same thing. Of, is, a, is a dollar or other medium of exchange legal? It is unless you're doing something nefarious. And in module three, we spend a lot of time talking about the legal pitfalls that are out there that you can avoid as a matter of certainly the IRS. We'll talk a bit about estate planning, how to plan for your crypto estate and what happens to your crypto if you're not here. What you will learn over time, and some of you already know, is your private keys that give you access to facilitate transactions in crypto. If you lose your keys, it's a wrap. But what happens if you've done all this to put all this together and your family doesn't speak this language? What instructions will you leave them so that they can have access to your crypto assets? That's going to be super important. And then finally, obviously, we talk about at a very high level securities issues. And I give you some, if you want a deeper dive, there'll be other resources, but try and keep that part at a high level so we don't get lost in the weeds. Stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media on Twitter at at Tech Intersect and on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated.